Good Looking At, episode number 22, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. So, what's up, Santos? I wanted to talk to you about um, The Leftovers for a minute. Yeah? What do you think? Um, I... Are you buying the reboot? Yep. Um... Here, all right. So here's the thing. I've gone beyond. I read this article and I don't remember where. I I think it was a New Yorker. It was a review, um, and and I don't remember a ton of it. Um, I was falling asleep while I was reading it, but it's got me thinking about the show in a different way, and not so much in a plot focused way, but thinking about like the the themes that it's trying to tackle, and and it took me back into like imagining like being in meetings and story building meetings and story arc conversations and just how they're building out their writing plan and just talking about in grand themes, you just, I was trying to imagine what those conversations were like. And it's pretty clear that they're dealing with huge themes of like, like erosion of marital love. Right. But they're dealing with it under this extreme duress you know, this crazy thing has happened in the world, right. but at the same time, it's sort of sped up what may have been kind of eroding anyway, but, like, you see, like, marital love fall apart, and you see how love reinvents itself in other ways, and how broken people try and come together and work, and the sacrifice that's involved in that, and that is, and if you look at the show with through that lens, it's, I feel like it's amazing. Like, those are super difficult themes. Yeah. You know? I think it's been really good this season. It was fell apart a little bit, I think, trying to be, like, weirdly, a little too, like, weirdly supernatural or mysterious in the first season. Oh, in the first season you did. You, you felt that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it just felt, like, a little aimless and, like, it was off the rails. It wasn't... Maybe there were too many characters. I feel like they focused in a little more in the second season. Okay. Because I would say that supernatural theme is even more present here with yeah, the, the, like I, the I woman that's, that's, that's kind of, he's starting to go crazy like his dad, and he is talking to the woman yep. that killed that herself, Patty, yeah. right? I guess maybe it was the like, okay, so there's the the people in white who won't talk and refuse to smoke in the first the season. Guilty there's remnants. the like the Yeah, the guilty remnants. There's the people who, there's the guy who can see everyone's future or whatever, and yes. the government chasing him, and the son who's with him, and all these women, and he has his own side plot. It just felt like it was a little too all over the place, and yeah. it was like, in the same way, you were kind of waiting the whole season, and like from John from Cincinnati be like, okay, where's the cohesion? Yes. Where's where this all comes together? It, listen, well... Which is kind of a common theme with Damon Lindelof. I was I just going to say that. Yeah. Like, I mean, look who's right. Look who's at the helm. Yeah. I mean, that's... You're going to get that. And not being a huge, like... I didn't invest a lot of my life energy into Lost. Um, Good for you. So, <laughs> so I, I don't think that I'm probably as bitter as some people are about him. And I'm willing to let him ramble a little bit, you know, and see where things end up. Because sh- I just love how dark it is, you yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, he does suffer from, like, yeah. resolution is not his, his strong. Yeah. it's So far this season, it's well acted. It's well written. 
I actually have appreciated the chronology shift where yeah. um, you're seeing in the second episode things that shed light on thing from a different perspective on things that happened in the first episode. So I would say for anyone who hasn't been watching the show, just start with season two. You don't even need to watch season one. Just pick it up in season two. It's like a total reboot. It is, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can't... If you're not able... I'd, I wouldn't say that season one isn't worthwhile, though. It's okay. Yeah. It's you're not... not you're... I, I, I know I'm... Uh, you're you're not alone in your... There's so much amazing TV out there right now, but if something Dude, is just okay... I mean, everyone, I'm with you everyone is bringing it across the board. There's way too much stuff to watch. You just need to cut to the excellent I'm with you stuff. on that. I don't and, know. This, I got something The show, though, for some reason. Liv Tyler. Fucking love her. Um, yeah, I noticed that she's in the credits for season two, but we haven't seen her yet. We have seen her. Oh, uh, I, I'm a few episodes behind, I guess. Yeah, but okay. we see her for a hot minute. Anyhow, okay. um, I didn't want to, like... Turn, I didn't want to turn this into a fucking fist fight over Damon Lindelof. Um, oh, there's but, no fist fight. I think we both agree. I think we do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just it's been I've been kind of digging it lately. Oh, and that and obviously the World Series. It's happening right now, and we're not going to talk about it. But it's fucking awesome. It's great baseball. It always is. So that's exciting. And who who it's the the Kansas City Kansas City Royals and the, yeah. and the New York Mets. The Mets. Fucking Mets, man. First time since 86. <laughs> the bridesmaids of New York baseball. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, man. It's true. Yeah, here they are. Finally. Well. They're down 2 nothing. Oh. Uh, they're down 0-2. Yeah. Um, so Case, they just... Casey's bringing it, huh? Yeah, man. It's... It's, um... <laughs> this is the first game in New York. Um, first tour in Kansas City. And the first game went um, on to be the longest first game in World Series history. The, the start-off pitcher's father died in the middle of the game. Oh, jeez. There was a TV outage in the middle of it. It started off with an in-the-park home run. It was just like the most oddball game. Crazy. Like, I've ever I've ever seen in a World Series. Aside from the fucking Bill Buckner fucking thing, which yeah. we're not going to get into. But speaking of the Mets, that's a lot. You're welcome, New York. <laughs> You got some Buffalo 66 rage going on there? <laughs> a little bit. What about you, man? What do you got going? Um, yeah, I've just been... Um, I'm trying to think what... We've been watching The Leftovers some. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching Project Greenlight. Oh, in, yeah? In fact, um, really? I think the project, the movie from the season of Project Greenlight debuts on Monday. Is that right? It's going to be on HBO. It's a movie called The Leisure Class. Um, I think, you know, the not-so-secret thing about Project Greenlight is most of the movies end up being really shitty. Yeah, that's you know, the... That's the... First-time filmmakers, a lot of these people. You know, normally you never see these things. They play in, like, maybe a few small film festivals. Right. Um, and we don't talk about, like, the... It's rare, you know, that you have someone like the Coen Brothers whose first film is, like, oh. something you continue to talk about. Right. My God, yeah. No, I mean, it's the so, rarest of rare. But this one, this guy was, like, uh, a more independent filmmaker, which kind of made sense for HBO. Right. Because I think normally Project Greenlight was, like, on one of the cable networks. Or I think it was on... 
the, could have been IFC. Yeah, I think maybe it was IFC or, or Sundance. Or something or, yeah. Um, it, it, and, and it was for some reason they ended up making usually these more one season they made a horror film. I think that was one of the ones that turned out the best. The first season they had the person write and direct it, and that was a big mistake. Okay. And yeah. then the second, second or by the second or third season they were like, okay, we need to actually just like get a director and bring in a writer or cast for or find a good writer and a good director. Yeah. Put them together as part of the competition in the same way it's like it's like if project runway was like you're gonna model and make the clothes you know it's like you're never gonna find it's gonna be rare to find someone who's that's exactly it's like right. a unicorn you know no yeah it's totally a unicorn so it's the rare person like uh billy bob thornton or you know someone who could yeah. actually Roman act or... direct and actually write you know decent oh, God, stuff act. yeah yeah exactly. even then he's obviously moved on from writing yep into bigger and better things, or not maybe not better, but maybe more better. appropriate for him. Yeah. So anyway, um, been watching Project Greenlight. It's been really interesting because it's hard to tell. I my takeaway from the season is anyone who agrees to appear on Project Greenlight is an idiot because they just no matter what your role is, you end up looking like an asshole. Yeah. There's a producer, and this was there were some headlines about this Matt Damon mansplaining to this black producer like what diversity actually means in film. You know, there was some controversy. Matt Damon ended up looking like an asshole. Um, there's this director who's obviously from outside of the Hollywood system, outside of the studio system, who's been mostly making independent film that seems like he's gifted. And he's just like rabidly attached to what he wants to see. Like he really wants to shoot on film. He won't shoot on digital. Oh, and, um, all just all these things like he hates all their locations the location scout works for like three weeks and finds all these like gorgeous places and and he has such a defined picture in his head and um ben affleck and matt damon to their credit like support that they're like great like he's not willing to compromise on his vision that's what you need out of a filmmaker because yep. otherwise it gets so compromised at every step uh, yeah absolutely so um you know he's but he's positioned in the thing as being difficult this uh black woman named Effie is positioned as like, she's really difficult and how much conflict it seems like, I don't know. It'd be hard to manufacture the amount of conflict there is between these two people in this thing. No shit. But anyways, I think he got some really good British actors, um, to star in this leisure class film. It's sort of like if like Wes Anderson did a, like a more, um, sophisticated sort of comedy. Or something. It's okay. like much more traditionally comedic. Like Wes Anderson's films are funny, but not in like a traditional comedic way. It, that's right. Yeah. Um, but this has like the sensibility and like the attention to detail and the quirkiness of a Wes Anderson, but with um, a more straightforward traditional sort of comedic. Sort of... I wouldn't say traditional, but like the Fairley brothers were like involved as mentors in this. Okay. Um, so jokes. Yeah. There's some I, jokes. I don't know if there's like gaggy jokes like the Fairley Brothers do, but there's definitely, like, there's, you know, there's probably, it's meant to be a comedy. Okay, yeah. More than it is a drama. All right. And, I mean, who is it? I have no idea. Uh, like, Oh, is this the one that's happening now? It's it's debuting on Monday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, anyways, could be huh, interesting to check know, it out. I've never watched a single fucking second of that show. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth watching. I mean, you've yeah. lived through plenty of 
content and film production. Yeah. I don't know that you need it. Could, it seems like the kind for of people thing, who like, don't it's probably like know chefs anything about that watching world. a fucking cooking yeah. show or something. Right. Like you just go insane. So the theme for this episode. Yes, this episode. We decided to do three underappreciated movies. That's right. Fucking we'll tell you what people are not fucking <laughs> paying attention to and where they're wrong. The whole purpose of this thing, right? So underappreciated movies. So let's talk about underappreciated for a minute. Um, and just, I'd be interested to hear like, cause well, for me, um, when I was trying, when I was putting myself through, you know, my, you know, prep and my, how am I gonna, um, you know, what am I, what are my picks? How am I, how am I putting the, the filter on this? And, underappreciated from this is the way I was looking at it I'm sure you'll have a simpler more sensible way but I was like alright well underappreciated in the eyes of critics underappreciated in the box office underappreciated in just in cultural sort of like circles yep. like which what is it you know I, 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 I don't think, know I think any or all of those okay cool yeah because for me it was it kind of came to that as well one of my picks not to not to give it away, it's actually something that is currently in the box office that oh, I think is, is is not getting as much attention as it should and is underappreciated. I love it. Okay, good. Well, we're, we're on a level playing field here. Do you, you want to start? Sure. Uh, my first pick, and this is like easily in my top ten. I don't might be in the lower part of the top ten, but it's easily in, in top ten moves for me. Yeah. Um, I may probably, in fact, I know I've even mentioned it before on the podcast, um, but I feel like there can never be enough attention called to this movie. It's Sexy Beast. Oh, God. This is, that's a great pick. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Talk, talk, man. I, I, I never hear this anyone thing. talking about this. I don't I, either. I fucking love this movie. First of all, I think it's got great actors. It's got Ray Winstone. Ben Kingsley gives one of the best performances of his career. That's got e, Ian McShane from Deadwood. Yep. Um, it is a really interesting plot. It is a really interesting take. It's like a caper movie and a gangster movie, but it yep. doesn't do either of those things in a traditional way. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it's one of the most unique. It's character driven at the same time. Like, yeah, there's a plot. Very much so. You know, and it, there's some action, but it's so much more character driven and than it is. Um, like a straight-ahead sort of like plot-driven action movie. Yes. So uh, I took a writing class online, um, and one of the professors pointed out um, this this thing with that they call like the exchange exchange of power between characters, and like what makes a really good dynamic scene is if these characters are sort of fighting for power and exchanging power in subtle ways back and forth. And he pointed to Sexy Beast and the scenes between the Ray Winstone. And Sir like ben. ben Kingsley character as the alt one of the ultimate examples of this. And if you watch it with that in mind, and you watch the subtle ways in which they, oh my god, it's very simple, very simple power struggle. But it happens over the course they, of they like want, two days. Yeah, they want Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone is a retired gangster living in Spain, um, away from England. He's an ex English sort of gangster slash criminal, expat heaven. Yeah, he's. Presence is requested for a job by a crime boss. He doesn't come. So Ben Kingsley comes to Spain to get his ass. Get his fat ass out of the pool and back up into England to do this job. And the first 
hour of the movie is this power struggle, this subtle power struggle between oh. the two of them. And what's so genius about it is the Ben Kingsley character who is has all of the cards in the scene. He's this interloper. He shows up. He makes it really uncomfortable and really painful for everyone. So it's the Ray Winstone character. <laughs> There's no explaining this His character. wife. Uh, it's so brutal. His friend H... H, which is A-I-T-C-H, but it's, it's oh, H. Oh, okay. And then um, H's girlfriend slash wife. And the thing that is so brilliant about it is, and the thing that's the chink in the Ben Kingsley character's armor, is he is still in love with H's girlfriend. They dated once upon a time, and she doesn't want anything to do with him, and he is still in love with her. And it any every time he's like, Exp- like fully expressing and like, like metaphorically stepping on the neck of the Ray Winstone character. It's the thing that like causes the cracks in his facade and the cracks in his armor. Wow, that's so a, that is brilliant. so true. That is so true. To say that he's still in love with her gives that character too much credit. That's a character that's impossible of right. loving anything. That's true. He just lusts after her. He and is bitter that he's alone. Right. He cannot love anything because that yeah. is a character that is. I'd say that's an accurate statement. Of yeah. care. There's an amazing scene where there is that power struggle that's happening. That's I love that. And the next time I watch it, it's, I'm going to be looking specifically for that. Though it's impossible to miss. Like it's the first act is is based on it. But there's a scene where he is still enforcing his will when there isn't when he's completely alone and he's enforcing his will just on the house where he's goes in the bathroom to take a piss, and he's there alone. And the shot is kind of between his legs, and you see him, he's pissing on the toilet. And then he just leans to the side and pisses on the carpet for like 10 seconds. <laughs> like, so long. He pisses on the on the floor. Right. And then just goes back, finishes pissing on the toilet, yeah. and then goes back out. And it's amazing that they, like, that's yeah. so well written and so well shot. It's like, what a great character right. detail. I'm here. To, like, say, all this is mine, and you're here to do my, my bidding. Literally pissing yeah. in the corner. So, anyways, uh, we want to talk about how the power struggle resolves itself, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, because we don't want to ruin it, but you should definitely, if you haven't seen Sexy Beast, it is brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, it's really original. Oh, my God. Ian McShane is amazing. The opening scene, yeah. there's so many amazing things about yeah. this movie. I don't think any of my movies actually are going to, I mean, I, I'm proud of my, I, I'm standing behind my picks completely, but as far as like movies that people know and don't talk about enough, that is way up there. I love that movie and I feel like not enough people, people in the know and my, like people, I don't know. Yeah, good pick. Um, my first pick is a movie that probably not a ton of people have heard of. Most people know the filmmaker, John Sayles. Mm. Um, and um he's John Sayles is a like a royalty in the independent film world. He's like he's the story of the guy who like did the credit card movie, wrote he wrote Piranha and mm-hmm. like made enough money to produce his first movie and then went on and he's just always been a critical darling. He's never been a box office hit, never wanted to be. Yeah. Um but his movie Passion Fish mm-hmm. I think is one of his greatest films. It's a story of a soap actress, uh, soap opera actress, who gets in taxicab, hits her in New York, 
she is this is Mary McDonald is the character is the uh, is the actress and um she's in a wheelchair full T12 paraplegic and she moves back to her family home in New Orleans, uh, not New Orleans but in Louisiana in the in the bayou right and um this is a big city. This is a woman that struggled to get out of her small town. Right. Went to New York, made it as yeah. an actress, and now she has to go back to living here, and she turns to the bottle. So it's a struggle of, like, this immense, like, change during, you know, sort of your midlife time and right. her, like, having to struggle with addiction. Um, wow. It's amazing. So he's a master. So everything looks amazing. Roger Deakins shoots mm-hmm. all of his stuff in... You know, I, I mean, Roger Deakins is one of the greatest photographers ever. So everything looks amazing, but his use of, he's, uh, John Sales is famous for his use of location, not only as a shooting backdrop, but also to inform plot and to inform, like, he just interweaves, he just soaks up places. Um, it's almost like, it feels like he could have been a part of, um, of what was the meth movie up in the Ozarks? Um, ah, whatever. But the like, meth movie in the Ozarks. Yeah. Oh, Jennifer. Oh, you're talking um, about um, uh, Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone. Yeah. yeah. My buddy Alan. Yeah, worked on that. Um, the yeah, he, it's a similar type of thing where just where setting is a character, you know, yeah. and that's yeah, such yeah. that sure. adds so much. I, I love that, but. Anyway, Passion Fish, this is not a, you know, I, this is not a movie for everybody. This is a film nerd movie, um, but it's also, like, I think it's a little bit of a drama. Um, if you're into, this is, I could see this very much as a play, because it all unfolds kind of on this, right. you know, this place in, you know, her old family settlement back home, and she meets, like, the guy, her heartthrob, like, from high school, and sees that he's never left the town, and... All the life comparison stuff when her hmm. friends come and visit from New York and everything. Um, it's great. I, 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 this movie I've seen, I've seen it probably 20 times. Wow. I, w- I want to say that I saw it a long time ago. Like, it it sounds so familiar, but when you describe it, I don't know that I've seen it. So I'm Alfred definitely... Woodard is in it. Okay. Um, do you know who she is? Yeah, of course. Um, she, I love her. And I, this, I, to be honest with you, I've never seen her do anything better than this. This is her greatest role. Huh. She plays her nurse, her live-in nurse, who is also, she, like, comes after just seeing... Um, I feel like I watched this with my parents when I was in high school. Oh, really? Or something. Yeah, this is, that, yeah. Would, that time would be right. This was, like, um, 88. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like, I, especially when you say Alfred Woodard, I feel like I watched this with my parents on a weekend when I was in, like, late middle school, early high school. Cool. Um, yeah, man, check it out. It's on Netflix. Cool. Watch it again. Yeah. It's it's re- it's so well done. Sounds like the kind of thing Nicole would really like. So oh, I bet she her. would. I bet yeah. she would. Check it out. It's it's fantastic. Cool. All right, my second pick. I think this is something maybe you and I have talked about this before. I I think not only is this an underrated film, I think the star and possibly the only actor, with the exception of maybe an additional voice, um, that's done by someone else. Uh, Sam Rockwell is the only actor in this. This may give away the movie. Um, I think he's a really underappreciated actor. 
I think he's been in tons of amazing stuff, and he should have been a leading man in Hollywood, and he just I'm dying quite to hear what your pick is right now. It's Moon. Oh my God! Okay, yeah, I love that movie. I, for a minute, like, I, for a minute, right there, I was like, "Are you? Did you mean to say Box of Moonlight? Because have you seen that? Uh-uh. God, I wish I picked that one. But Moon, um, that's another Sam Rockwell movie. Yeah. That, in John Turturro, it's way under. Nobody ever talks about the movie. It's so good. I'm going to talk about that again sometime. Um, Sorry, did I check you there? Moon is so good. So Moon is I. It's so rare that you go into a movie and you're like, I have no idea what this is going to be or if this is going to be any good. And you watch it and you're just like, unbelievably blown away by a movie. And this movie, I feel like the plot and the way it unfolds. There's this mystery. There's this character Sam Rockwell. He's manning this sort of space station he's up there all by himself and why he's there and wh- how that happens yes. like you watch this whole thing unfold and you're learning about the world sort of as he's learning about it and you're uncovering these these sort of mysteries about this world as he is but even like after the the like twist where he uncovers the ultimate mystery like that it's not that's not the point of the movie the movie goes on from there that's right and you know with this enhanced self-awareness um it's fascinating fucking movie it's really great it also what a good pick um, man is directed by duncan jones do you know who duncan jones is no i know the name but i don't, i can't it's i can't tell you david bowie's kid get the fuck out of here yeah he has another movie coming out um he he did a, another movie that people seem to love but no one actually watched called source code i think maybe it had jake gyllenhaal in it um huh, i don't know anything about that so so this guy Duncan Jones is like maybe an underrated director, you know, well, paired you, with Sam Rockwell, who's an underrated actor. He is absolutely and Moon an is. Actor. It's seriously one of my best, my favorite sci-fi films. It's a very atypical sci-fi film. Yes, it is. It's not like it's a character, action. It's, a character a, it's very character-driven. Oh, it's all. And it could also be a play because it's so self-contained. It's great sci-fi, like. Yeah, it, it's creepy. It's got a lot of space. It's got a really good a space. Space meaning not like. You know, I mean, a, there's a lot it's, of breathing room. It, oh, oh, yeah. Um, it has both. Yeah. I mean, it's got, yeah, it's got both. Yeah. It has a lot of breathing room. It, it's very pensive. Yes. Like, you know, absolutely. It's, it's Kubrick almost yeah, in that it way. It is almost Kubrick esque. You know, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, it's very, like, you have time to, like, settle in with the character. You're, like, you're, like you say, it, it kind of, it, you're, you're in it together with him. What's that? What was that? Do you remember that really old sci-fi movie with Bruce Dern, where he's on a space station and he's like, there's like gardens and all this stuff, and I think they they decide that they're gonna like shut the space station down or something like that, and he basically he revolts, and because he's so in love with like all this world this that he's sort of cultivated familiar. on his own, it. Reminded me, Moon felt like a sort of updated version of this Bruce Dern movie. I think he, like, even kills a couple people to, like, stay, to, like, yes. keep the space station. Because they're, like, turning, it's it's a spaceship, like a deep space spaceship in this case. And he, they're gonna, they're about to, like, take the ship back and it's gonna be decommissioned or something. And he oh has, like, God, that's exactly helped right. that... create this world and... um I'll, I'll look it up while you talk about your next film and see if we can figure out what that film was called. But yeah, Moon reminded me a yes, little bit of that yeah. of that film, actually. Such a good pick. Sam Rockwell. I almost picked a Sam Rockwell film, too. Um, like I said, Box of Moonlight, we're definitely going to talk about again. But um, Single Shot, I don't know if you've seen that. No. 
Um, it's about three years old. Sam Rockwell movie. Um, it's a kind of a um, it's a uh, a rural thriller in the veins of um, Blue. Uh, what's that great movie that we love? Blue Ruin. Ruin. Um, sort of Silent like, Running. Silent Running. That's the name of the Bruce Dern film. I okay. wanted to say cool. I was going to say Cool Runnings. That's what the Jamaican mobs <laughs> left him. You know, Cool Runnings, that yeah. awesome movie with Bruce Dern. <laughs> Silent Running. Silent Running. Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen that, like you should check that out too. I don't think it's nearly as good as Moon, but it's it's not. You know. No, Moon is amazing, and it's so yeah, it's really well executed. Anyway, sorry, single shot. Not at all. No, not even. That's not my pick. Um, I was just talking oh. about Sam Rockwell still. My my pick. Um, is I don't think as clearly as underrated as your two picks. I got to be honest, but I I do um, think that this movie is not been gotten the attention it should, at least in his catalog of work. Uh, Lars von Trier, um, Melancholia, I think is an amazing film, and not enough. I don't know that's, why I don't hear people talking. It's about true. It. it felt like. People were sort of over Lars Venture or something by the time that movie came out. Yeah, they it's he got he wasn't critically panned, and actually critics were responded well that they liked it, but they always made sure to be like far from his best work. You know, it it it's definitely got lots of issues. You know what I mean? People are really trying to poke holes in it, and and I don't think it's his strongest piece of work either, but. There's, it's, what he did is he took a big step outside of his comfort zone, you know what I mean? And he did something that is, really, it's a sci-fi film in in some ways, you know? Um, But it's also a, an incredible, some people believe, the greatest depiction of depression in film ever, of a person Mm -hmm. suffering with depression. Um, And then, of course, again, you know, a leisure class sort of setting. Kiefer Sutherland has this sort of like, it's vaguely American. The film is in English, um, it, but you don't know where this place is, but it's just this incredible, like huge estate with a golf course in a marriage happening hmm. at the, at this estate. But at the same time, there's a planet hurtling towards earth called melancholia hmm. and the planet is threatening to destroy the earth. So the lead character, Kirsten Dunst, um, is set into um, this. She suffered with depression her whole life, we learn. Um, But she is now just, um, she's done. Hmm. You know, it's people, you know, half of the people believe that this thing is just going to fly by and not do anything. And the other half are preparing for the end. And she's obviously of the latter. Hmm. thinking anyway um it's an amazing it's so good like um he's not a he's very he's brave guy brave filmmaker he's not afraid to do shit and he moves into some really great like he did this in antichrist too i think some just great digital effects um stuff used in a very interesting way in ways that you don't see effects used very often and he does that in a much different color palette, in a much different like direction than Antichrist, which was like fecal almost, you know, right. not even almost. Very, it was. Yeah. And this is like, this is like beautiful, like 
you know, bright blues and greens, and, and it's almost like you know you can't wait for the world to end. Like hmm. it's it's amazing this film. You get, cool. You, you got to check it out. I'll definitely check it out. It's so great. And that then he did Nymphomania or Nymphomaniac or Nymphomaniac. Yeah, with Charlotte Gainsbourg was after right after that. That's right. Charlotte Gainsbourg is in Melancholia as well. Oh, really? Yeah, she <laughs> plays the super cold. Not surprisingly, <laughs> the super cold um, uh, sister of Kristen Dunst's character. Interesting. Um, but he loved, yeah, he loves, he loves her. Um, and she, I think she's fantastic. And, yeah. um, Nymphomaniac, I think I would list as another underrated film. Huh. And it's another, like, he, this guy, I mean, he is all about, like, women suffering. You know what I mean? Like, this is a common theme for him. Antichrist, a woman loses everything that she cares about when her baby dies. Right. Um, Melancholia, our character is just like incapacitated with depression. Hmm. Nymphomania, you've got a woman that is suffering. It's it's a it's a story about the disease. It's a story about somebody that like is suffering for trying to fill this bottomless pit in her right. in her you know inside of her. It's 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 pretty great, man. It's I think that movie's amazing. Hmm. You got to be a fan. Of it. I mean, listen. Here's the yeah. thing. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to sell this movie to my mom. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Any of his fucking movies. Like, you gotta you gotta know what you're getting into. But for me, like, I fucking I love this guy. Yeah. Man. I mean, if you like foreign film, certainly Lars von Trier is one of the oh the people who's had not only the longest but arguably one of the. One of the most successful careers of your divine success is someone who's continually pushing the boundaries of film. That's absolutely right, yeah. And you know what I think is true about him is that he's never set foot in the States. Really? Yeah. Huh. Which interesting is kind of surprising for a person that's a filmmaker, because you travel a lot when you're a filmmaker. You move, you go to lots of different locations. Did you see Alphaville? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think of that? Um, it's okay. It's good. I, I don't love it. I think there's something really interesting about that film where it's you, important. You, it's, it's you start, considered an important. You film. start to watch it and you, you're like, what even? What even is this thing that I'm watching? And by the end of watching it, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's like a a play as a film, and you're like watching. It's like you're watching the stage of a play, and there are all these. There's no buildings. There's just these outlines on the floor and. But it doesn't take very long to get into the film, and you're completely just forget. Like you're you're there. You see you're seeing these things, you know. In the same way it, that happens um, in in a really good play as well. Um, you just feel like, for me, I just had this crazy experience of like, you, it's like you could see the town and you could see the village, and you, yeah, you, you felt could. like you were just in this world in this really interesting way that I've never seen in film, like you, that you experience in, in a small theater or, or at right. the theater, which um, is an extremely powerful. Yeah. Like that's a very powerful thing. Absolutely. So to see someone be able to do that in film, uh, yeah. where you're not in the same room with the people was really interesting. I thought, Jesus, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think I may have been like in a weird, fa- I think I was in a phase when I saw that when I didn't fucking like anything. Like, everything I saw was not right. Right. One of those times, to be honest, because that's, yeah, that that deserves a rewatch for sure. Because um, that's one of my favorite, like, the sort of, like, rehearsal of a, of a drama, yep. of, of a play is what it's like. Because there is no set. There's yeah. no, 
Like you said, the things there's yeah. just blocking in tape. Yeah. Nicole Kidman is really good in that. She ends up kind she of is. stepping out of her comfort zone and doing a film with him, and it works out for her really well, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Vanya on 42nd Street is my probably favorite play as a film. Hmm. I mean, aside from, like, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or something Glenn like Gary, that. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Glenn Gary, yeah. I mean, this is, I guess, even... Um, so not so much like a play unfolding on film. This is the way it happens. The way the movie unfolds is um, on the it's on 40, it's in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and you see people walking down the street and coming together and talking in front of the theater. They're eating a knish. They're oh, well, how are you doing? And it's one shot, and everybody moves into the theater, and then they kind of move onto the stage, and then without anybody doing anything, they just break right into Uncle Vanya, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite plays ever, and uh, it's a Chekhov play. Um, right. As you know. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's so great. And it has Julianne Moore, my fucking all-time yeah. love of my life. And that's Speaking it. of which, have you seen Still Alice? Oh, my God. No, I haven't seen it oh, yet. Oh, that film is fucking brilliant. Is it? So God, I good. Knew, I knew it would be great. So good. So, uh, it's just so brutal, you know, at oh the same my time. God. It looks, it looks it's so So tough. Yeah, it was in the, th- I like so many times I was like, I gotta go see this. And I was like, and you know, being a, you know, dad with a young kid, it's like, you gotta choose your movies out carefully. And I was like, I'm not taking my fucking wife to see this thing. Like, if we're going out with a little movie, it's, I want to come home with a smile on everybody's face. I don't want to go, you know, I don't think she would watch that with me. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I think she would love it. Do you? Yeah. I think that that's a more accessible film. Oh. And because it's really about the family. I mean, granted, with... Oh, I guess it would be. Given the things that right. have happened recently in your wife's life with her losing both of her parents and stuff like that. Might be... Might be a little A touchy. little bit much. Yeah. Might be... Because it's, it's kind of about, like, It's why, about the people who are left behind and have to, like, deal with... A little bit, yeah. Right? It's, it's about her and watching her struggle with Alzheimer's and as she's, like you know, was a brilliant linguist and, like, language was everything to her. So it's especially brutal to watch her oh, struggle. Oh, right. I forgot about that, about that character. Yeah. Yeah, and and from what I understand what I read about it, like, the thing that was super impressive and one of the reasons I love her is all those little super hard-to-quantify things that that she brings to characters where she's conscious of like her diminishing ability right like you can see her seeing it erode right you can that's what i understand that makes that so character that character yeah it's so great. it's really subtly it's her witnessing herself done. yes disappear yep it's i i it's it's difficult to watch it's very emotional but i yeah. i highly recommend it another movie that i recently watched on a flight um, in the Delta, you know, like back yeah, yeah. gallery of stuff that I hadn't seen that I just thought was a fucking brilliant movie. Really interesting was the imitation game. Oh, with yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch about Alan Turing. So oh. do you know the story about this? I don't. So the Nazis developed this, um, machine called the Enigma machine that they used to code messages. Yes. And there was literally in order to break the code of this machine, there was a f- 159 million million possible permeations of the code. Get the fuck. Like, you literally could, 
you know, you could have taken a room of people that were expert code breakers, given them a hundred years, and they they and they changed the code every night at midnight. So, if the amount of time it would take you to like break one code, but it didn't even matter because they changed the code every day at midnight. And um, Britain had this now. It's, it's been in a couple TV shows. Um, had this took basically this thing called Bletchley. Uh, this typewriter factory, and they had this, it was where MI6 was stationed with all these people. They had all these women listening, intercepting all these messages every day, but they couldn't decode any of the messages. They even had an Enigma machine that they um, captured and smuggled out back to London, and they couldn't crack these codes. And Alan Turing, who was autistic, and this brilliant mathematician, like really brilliant but very socially obviously inept and incapable uh was staffed into this bletchley codebreakers thing and he uh you know I, I think it's common knowledge now but he figured out a way to break the to basically break this machine and he single-handedly won the war for the allies by um they that's by right. breaking this code holy shit that's right yeah and it's it's really really and he was and this is yeah god a, yeah a story that it's like a very it's a really not well known part of history because they covered it up after the war right because they they suspected that maybe if no one knew like if the Russians didn't know and they were like needed to send coded messages and they were like the Germans had this machine you know that no one could break why wouldn't we use that. And then, right. and then, and then you'd be they, on it. They, they were on it already. Right, so, of course. So they basically wiped all of the Bletchley factory people's war records and no one ever knew anything about it. Right. And so Alan Turing never got any credit. He just went back to Cambridge as a mathematics professor. Oh, fucking hell. But he basically, what he did was he also invented what was to become the modern computer. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So fascinating story, brilliantly acted, of course. Is this by the Bened- first time Benedict on the Cumberbatch for the story? Probably, I think there have been some books written about it. Yeah. And recently, like the UK government apologized, like uh, um, issued a formal apology uh-huh. and recognition of Alan Turing's um, sort of service. contributions yeah. and service to the country. Right. I mean, no one's obviously using a fucking old Enigma typewriter machine and of telegraph course. anymore to yeah, or whatever to send shit. So. Right. Huh. Wow. All right. Well, I'll have to check it out, man. I mean, it's really, I can't believe I've, because I've really been combing that thing pretty hard lately. Yeah. And I just, I've watched The Big Lebowski like four times. Which is definitely worthwhile as well. <laughs> right. I, I, mean, I also watched Big Lebowski in, in, from <laughs> that back gallery of A to Z films or whatever on a Delta flight. Yeah. Yeah. Imitation Game. Check it out. You'll love it. I, yeah. I'll watch it tomorrow or I'll watch it on Sunday for yeah. sure. Killer. All right. Um, that That's not my pick. Oh. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Right. It's funny. Because my last set is a pick that's in the film. I'm just like, started going, remembering like all these films that I'd seen recently that were totally worth watching. No, sorry. Man. The Imitation Game definitely qualifies as a film that didn't get enough recognition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably because it's like too like intellectual or obscure like a film to appeal to most, most mainstream people. The film that I picked is actually Steve Jobs. Oh. Uh, We went and saw it on Wednesday night. Okay. And, you know, it's been getting, like, not great ratings and not great reviews, but it's also also been predicted to be a box office flop. Yes, Based on the money that's spent in it. So, um, 
So for anyone that doesn't know, Michael Fassbender plays Steve Jobs. This is a Danny Boyle film, and it was um, penned by the guy who wrote The Social Network and The West Wing right. and Network um, or News Newsroom. What's that dude's name? I always forget. Like the most famous screenwriter yeah, in America I I right forget. now. I forget. I forget. Anyway, um, if JG was here, he'd be slapping us both around yeah, the face because he, sure. he totally loves this guy. Um, anyways... I think one of the reasons this film is getting panned is because what people go into this movie expecting to see is all of the highlights and this poor, disrespected man who was kicked out of Apple who then goes, you know, returns as the conquering hero mm -hmm. and launches all these things. And what it is exactly is it's literally all of the behind the scenes moments. Really? It's the intimate moments with. But, and the arguments between him and Wozniak, it's about his relationship with his first daughter, who he didn't acknowledge as his daughter for many years. It's about him, the things in his personal life that kind of made him the, like, fucked up mess that he was that led him to kind of think and be an outsider. Right. You know, he was... Uh, um, adopted as a kid. Okay. And uh, I didn't know any of this stuff. Evidently, all this stuff is in the I the Walter Isaacson book that the movie's based on. Uh -huh. um, the first family that adopted him gave him back. Really? And um, he knew all this, so he knew he was like, there's this big thing about he's like... Rejection. What, is it, what does it mean to like who, you know, who decides who looks at you and says like, no, I don't want this, you know, when you're one month old. Um... So anyways, there's all this like really intense sort of personal stuff and it's all the behind the scenes things and there are all these iconic moments from um, launching the Macintosh after the Apple to um, launching Next Computer, launching the iMac, you know, and uh -huh. it doesn't, doesn't really, it's not so much everyone knows like the shit about the iPod Devices and the iPhone and... and the switch to the Apple that we all know today. Um, so it doesn't really focus so much on that. It focuses on all the things that led up to that and his really heavily on his relationship with his daughter and his relationship with, um, who this woman, uh, I think her name was Chris Ann or something like that, who was his high school girlfriend who ended up getting pregnant and then having his first daughter who was like this just kind of like wacko sort of woman with all of her own issues and personal demons. Um, sure. So really really incredibly well acted i mean oh this, god he is wozniak so... has been very public the real yeah. steve wozniak about yes. like it was like he made some comment but not only was did it feel like it was the most realistic depiction but that he i think he said something to the fact that he would forget that he was watching an actor that it felt like he was watching steve jobs and that's exactly what happened to me too like you forget that this is michael fassbender oh, and you god. he's so good at the role so I think people struggle with this because no one wants to see the person that, like, of all the people, if you asked modern, you know, people to name, like, in the last 10 years, who are the geniuses of American society? Certainly Steve Jobs' name is at the top of that list. And I don't think people like to see a hero um, taken apart in the way Which, this I, movie I sort of right. dissects him. Yeah. They want to see him as, like... They want to see it. They wanted to see the story of Steve Jobs as the conquering conquering hero of Apple. Yes, and that's not what this movie is. But yeah, I think it's a going, brilliant people, movie. They're calling him. They're saying that he's being villainized. There, people are not pleased. You know, um, and unfair. They're like to the point of you know. And listen, we're in an age where every 
motherfuckers got in a, has like a stage to be talking about stuff. And if they happen to show up in your feed, they get just as loud a voice as anybody else, right? So I, I can't say that this is a, a shared opinion across like on every critic's desk, but plenty of people are, you know, they're saying it's, you know, they're not, they're, I think, responding in the way that you're saying. They're not loving the fact that this is a depiction of a flawed person. And I think it was interesting because when we walked away with the film, I think Nicole walked away and it was like, her takeaway was, man, he was a really big asshole. And yeah. I um, kind of walked away thinking like, this might not be, might totally, might not totally capture the nuance that I felt about it, but it's not like the anti-hero. It's like the anti-hero that you root for. It's like you realize that someone who has such a strong opinion about the world was necessary to make a difference in that world and he was the he was the person that we needed to get us where we needed to go yeah and seeing who he was as a and something seeing a more human depiction of him actually makes me appreciate him more and maybe that's not how most people feel about it but that's definitely how i walked away feeling about it Oh, yeah, interesting. I always love, yeah, you want to know that, because what it does is it, it, you, we all are well aware of our own flaws, and when you look at somebody as powerful and successful as Steve Jobs, you're like, well, he, his shit must have been buttoned up so tight, you know what I mean? He must have been just, to operate on that level, all of his shit must have been in line, and it's obvious that it wasn't. And he does, there is change in the movie, you do see him change, but it's more subtle uh, than Hollywood films generally. Nice. Do change. You know, there's evolution of the character. Yeah. More true to life, right? Yeah. But at the same time, he's true to his convictions and he's true to his vision and he stays consistent as a character, which also, you know, no Hollywood film ever, you know, they're willing to sacrifice character consistency for the sake of a happy ending or no. some radical change that everyone... Un- you know, fucking consumer panel right. wants to see any day of the week. Any so, day, anytime, ready for it, yeah. So yeah, I would say it's a more subtle shift and all the more realistic for it. I'm glad you brought this movie up, man, because I've been pretty ambivalent about it, to be honest with you. Like, for me, firmly on the list of Netflix, you know, yeah. like, I'm waiting for it, you know. And to be honest, it it's a little bit like a play. yeah. Um, there's nothing necessarily cinematic about it that requires mm-hmm. you to see it on the big screen, but I, I think it's great. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And now more so, for sure. You can talk about it. Well, my my pick, my last pick, um, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about this. Um, this is a movie that um, I think is people do not like. Um, some people, I don't know, some people love it, but many... Definitely film nerds do not like this movie. It's Man on Fire. I love this film. Oh, do you? Not only do I love it, it's one of Nicole's favorite films. Are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love, I love I, to hear that. I have never been more surprised showing her a film than how much she loved that film. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love to hear that. That's so great. And now you're talking about the Tony Scott version? Yes. Or the original version? No, uh, not the original, no. The, the Tony Scott version. Not the 1957 yeah. version. No, the Tony Scott Yeah. Denzel. Yeah, that's the one. Nicole loves that movie. It's one of her favorite films. She talks about it all the time. Really? Yeah. 
oh, I gotta talk to her about it. I love this movie. I've seen this movie ten times, um, and I'm, I mean, Denzel, for yeah. me, is end of the earth, like... Talk about a movie of self-sacrifice. <laughs> oh my god. For someone else's kid. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking brilliant movie. Oh my god. Right? So here's the thing, man. Fucking critics hate this fucking movie. They hate it. They I don't call know it why. sophomoric. They call it um like gratuitous. They call it completely like indulgent and predictable and just poorly crafted. Like AO Scott ripped this movie to shreds. And not that I think AO Scott is the end all be all movie critics, but you know, he is the he's been the movie critic at New York Times forever and right. Um, and I do, and I always read his movie reviews and, you know, but yeah, like people don't love this movie. They say like his, cause he uses some type treatments in it and the way that he does, like he does some extreme camera work in this film that, you know, where he first tested those, um, camera techniques was in the BMW film, short film that he did for Fallon. No shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he perfected those like that. Even that sound and everything, he pulls all of that stuff. The sound and that camera yes, yes, thing yes. that he uses as I, the sort of I signature love. style. It's yeah, so good. It is great. He perfected all that on the short film, the okay. Beat the Devil right. short film that he did for BMW Films. Oh my God, so yeah. cool! Very cool note. I never knew that. Um, this movie, man, it's got like, you know, there's something about. It's almost like a, I've never even thought about this before. I'm just kind of thinking of this analogy now, or at least this connection to the, um, like a samurai almost. Yeah. Because this is a person that has um, given up everything of their own. They exist purely to serve someone else, right? Yeah. And they will gladly die doing so. And that same thing happens to uh, John... Oh, I can't remember his name now. Ah, oh, I forget his name. But, um, and, and anyway, for anyone who hasn't seen it, basically, it's not a complicated story. It's a kidnapping story. Do you have the character saying the film? Yeah. Creasy? Creasy. Yeah. Good man. Nice call. Yeah. Creasy, that's right, because that's what she calls him. She Creasy calls him Bear? Creasy. Yeah. yeah. Creasy Bear. <laughs> um, uh, Denzel plays a bodyguard um, that comes from... It's like ex-CIA? ex some government body. Alcoholic. We don't, we don't know what it is. Alcoholic. Living in Mexico City where there are obviously tons of bodyguard shops. He's well regarded in the community. Um, he gets a job for this rich family and he falls for the little girl. And he's got nothing to live for. Alcoholic. Like ready to shoot himself at, almost every night. Falls for this little girl, and then she gets kidnapped, and the story unfolds pretty, you know, to be honest, like, pretty unsurprisingly from there. Um, but the way it's done is it's done so really well. good. You just, um, so the, it's, it's Dakota, D- Fanning. Dakota Fanning. Dakota yeah. Fanning and Denzel Washington pretty much, like, just crack the stereotypes of these two characters. Yeah. Like you just plan, you you, pl- you expect these characters. If you're talking about the movie, it's like, oh, bodyguard, cute girl, they fall for each other and go, and, and you're like, oh, all right, well, I know that story, but you don't until you see it portrayed like this. Yeah, you know, it's so 
so good, this movie. Yeah, there's something about it. I mean, when you say fall for, it's like she doesn't have a father because her father's like this rich asshole who's never around and is sort of like a womanizer. That's right. Played by one of the... J-Lo's husband. Yeah, J-Lo's husband, whatever his name is. The mother's played by someone who I think is an underappreciated actress, actually, Rada Mitchell, Australian actress. She was in High Art. Yes. was the first film that kind of made her famous. She's fabulous. She's really good in it. Yeah. Um, And... Christopher Walken's in it. He plays oh, the Oh like, yeah, he plays like his or like, like ex CIA buddy or something back yeah. to the government yeah, yeah. type of thing. Right. Helping to keep him on the yeah. straight and narrow and Yeah. type of type But yeah, it's just really good. It's really you know, I think one of the things about it is there's a there's a nice rhythm to it like it doesn't hurry to develop the relationship between Dakota Fanning and the Denzel character. He becomes a swimming it coach. It feels organic feels like it feels natural in, it in the feels way very that's a really good point it feels supernatural yeah it's a really nice really stylistic really awesome film beautiful to watch so it's, yeah yeah it's good i i totally agree underrated film for sure right i really enjoyed it it's enjoyable on repeat watches oh yeah it's very good much so so awesome good pick great picks from you too this is a good one yeah, yeah. all right All right, well, that wraps up episode number 22. As always, thank you very much to Kaya Fisher for the audio engineering assistance. Uh, If you want to hit us up, Twitter is a good place to do so, at GLO Podcast. If you can, take a second, right-click on the show in your iTunes sort of podcast listing. Pick View This Show in iTunes. Leave us a review and a little message. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.